Welcome into Tales Never Fails. My name is Steve Kramer. Appreciate you checking out the show. On today's show, we're continuing our team-by-team, division-by-division season previews with the Houston Texans. We've already covered the four teams in each of the AFC East and the AFC North, so if you want to check those ones out, be sure to do so. Um, We're going to be doing an entire team preview from a betting and fantasy perspective, um, looking at every position group as Parker and I break them down. So this should be pretty good stuff here. Just under an hour. We hope to keep all of these. If you don't follow us on Twitter at TNF underscore podcast, be sure to do so where you can, um, you can tweet us questions there. We'll be dropping our podcast from there. Um, So definitely be sure to do that. Also subscribe on Apple podcasts. You can leave us a review and a rate as well, if you don't mind doing so, but I'm joined by Mr. Parker Hurley as always. Parks, how you doing, bud? good man yeah ready to talk about the houston texans a team that um i think kind of flying under the radar but had a really fascinating off season so we're gonna see kind of which way this team rolls after um yeah facing facing some turmoil a little bit yeah parks and if you want to start by talking about you know what was going on with their gm situation we can do that but if not we're going to get into the quarterbacks here parks you want to talk about the gm yeah, I mean, I guess we kind of have to considering, um, especially as we start to get into um, some of the draft picks that they had and some of the decisions that they made in the offseason. Obviously, you have to look at those through the lens of the fact that there was a power struggle while those decisions were made. And we're about to get into, you know, Jadavian Clowney is going to enter free agency now um, for a team without a GM. So um, it seems as though Bill O'Brien has technically won his second power struggle, um, as interesting as it sounds. And um, his first one was a real power struggle with Rick Smith. And uh, I, I believe Smith had, you know, issues personal you know issues with his wife and everything like that and decided to step away and you know spend more personal time but bill o'brien you know technically gets the win of that you know quote unquote power struggle um but then i think i believe you know he also gets credited because he brought this guy in that i think it's what two or three years later is letting him go um you know a lot of it has to do with um the trajectory and what they're building around deshaun watson a lot of it has to do with um mick casario a guy who's been in the New England Patriots front office for years and years and years. And, you know, Bill O'Brien has, you know, uh, he was there a a long time ago now, but obviously still has a relationship with Casario, Belichick, a lot of guys in there. Um, I don't know the inner workings. There's a lot of ways that you could twist the story. Um, One that the Patriots kind of hung Casario out there. Casario may not have known a clause in his contract and thought that he was going to be able to kind of mingle with the Texans, set up um, a potential GM spot. The Texans kind of committed. Um, due to, you know, like we're kind of getting to get into some of these issues. Um, and the Patriots said, ha, we caught you, you know, kind of just like, you know, laid them out there as like some bait a little bit to catch the Texans and push them back. Um, you know, there's also, you know, there's a lot of questions, especially due to the fact that um, the Texans are not hiring a GM and Casario in his clause next season is um, he's more of a, he's easier to um be brought on as the GM. So it seems as though that's the way they want to go. But like I said, now you just had an off season that is potentially questionable. And now you're heading into the season where um, there were big decisions to make a la Jadavian Clowney. So um, it's a really interesting, you know, dynamic that they're in. And it's really interesting because when you go back to Bill O'Brien and as we get into the quarterbacks, um, there were always rumors about, you know, which one of the quarterbacks he wanted and whether Deshaun Watson was 
one a Rick Smith pick or a Bill O'Brien pick. And like I said, I think a lot of these arguments now are about the pieces being built around Deshaun Watson because I think Bill O'Brien might have a specific view for him. So the question now becomes, um, is this a Bill O'Brien problem? And you know, the question with that comes if they hire Casario, who's Bill O'Brien's friend, um, he's just hiring another friend. Casario seems absolutely you know, ready for the job and everything like that. But nonetheless, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic heading into, like I said, this is kind of an underlying thing that um, I don't think is being talked about enough, but it's really interesting, especially the politics and the dynamics of uh, how that, yeah, they kind of were trying to weasel a GM out of the Patriots and the, it turns out the Patriots flipped the script on them a little bit. Parks and we can, uh, we can get into the quarterbacks here. Like you touched on a little bit with Deshaun Watson. Um, he's just been taking a beating out there parks and the offensive line hasn't improved enough that we'll end up talking about that. But, um, you know, with the, he tore his knee and whenever he has been healthy and they've kept him upright, you know, he looks like they really have something in terms of a future quarterback coming up here. They bring in AJ McCarron on a one year deal from the Raiders and extend Joe Webb parks. How do you feel about this group, especially Deshaun Watson? It's all invested on Deshaun Watson, and that's where, like I said, I believe um, a lot of the turmoil comes down to um, different opinions and different views about how to build this thing around Deshaun Watson. Um, one of the questions with Deshaun Watson that you kind of had um, going back to the draft was, you know, kind of the anticipatory quick passing. Um, and I'm kind of laughing about it with Mike Williams because we don't really know. Um, those two had so much success due to the fact that Mike Williams didn't get too much separation and Deshaun Watson didn't throw like the most accurate passes, but, but the two were just so naturally good at football that it consistently worked. And he kept saying really about both of them is, you know, how does that NFL application really go about? And that's where Watson isn't necessarily this, you know, rhythmic tempo passer, um, everything like that prototypical quarterback, everything like that. Um, he's much more of a player that, when the play breaks down um, or he's escaping out of the pocket or he's pulling, you know, an 80 yard play just out of nowhere. Um, just, you know, he can do the superhero stuff and he can make these crazy plays out of structure. Um, I think a lot of the debater, you know, the issues are cre creating a system where he can consistently play out of structure. And that's where it's tough to find offensive linemen or to build the correct offensive line. Or then it's, do you, you know, how much do you reel him in and keep him in structure when you know that that's not necessarily the best for him? Um, it is in terms of keeping him, um, you know, upright, healthy, everything like that, but it's not necessarily the best for him in terms of highlighting his skill set. And I think you take some of the inaccurate passes or you take some of the, you know, he's not rhythmically, um, you know, picking teams apart, everything like that. You take that with the fact that he can, you know, when it's third and eight, you just assume it's Deshaun Watson. He's going to, you know, roll out of the pocket and get 12 yards, you know, to whoever it really may be. So, um, that's where Watson is in a really fascinating point in terms of his career trajectory. Um, but in terms of fantasy football, I'm definitely, I think I have him the third overall with just Andrew Luck and Patrick Mahomes as, you know, guys right above him. And I think you could almost argue the three of them all together because um, my one big fear with Watson really in terms of um, especially fantasy football, because um, in terms of real life football, a lot of those, um, you know, big time plays turn into also he takes a lot of sacks and you, like I said, you can point at the offensive line, but you also have to watch Deshaun Watson and how he plays and how he scrambles and know that, you know, sometimes it doesn't matter who the offensive lineman is. If he's going to run into sacks and situations like that, also interceptions um, where, like I said, you'll take the big plays with the fact that he did um, decrease his turnovers a little bit. Um, whereas that first season he was going off in fantasy, but, you know, he was throwing pick sixes and then marching right down the field, you know, throwing an 80 yard touchdowns the very next pass, everything like that. So there is that, you know, 
up and down factor. But in fantasy, that doesn't really matter nearly as much. Um, rushing is extrapolated in fantasy to where it matters so much more and turnovers don't matter nearly as much in fantasy. Um, really sacks don't mean anything where it's like sacks are insanely valuable in real life football. So that's where you go back to, um, Watson's true concern in fantasy football is just health. If he could stay healthy through a season, he's probably going to be a top five quarterback. Um, you know, you look at last season, um, there was a game where he had to take a bus on a road trip because he couldn't fly because his body just couldn't handle the pressures of being on a plane on, you know, liftoff and everything like that. So like that's, <laughs> that's what you're talking about. The fact that um, they're having these inner struggles of um, being able to keep him in the pocket and have him play in structure, but also he's the most magnificent, you know, game breaker. Um, it's a, it's a tough dynamic, but in fantasy, it's so much more valuable than real life. So um, the other thing I know Evan Silva talks about it a lot because um, he, you know, you look into their defense and we're going to kind of get into it. Um, Deshaun Watson is just unbelievable statistically when he, when he's trailing and that's where it goes back to um, maybe not the best structured, but the dude is a freaking gamer, you know, all the way back to national championships, everything like that um, just consistently creates plays consistently wins. So um when he's trailing, he steps it up a level. Or that's where I said, you know, when he throws a pick six, the next pass is usually an 80-yard touchdown. Um, there are situations where, um, e e whether they, whether you know, it goes well for him or goes poorly for him, he's going to have a good fantasy season as long as he stays healthy. So um, he is, in my opinion, a top five quarterback in fantasy, and uh, that's about the that's about the big issues for him. Parks moving on to his running backs here. Alfred Blue is out. Um, the running back Lamar Miller. Deonta Foreman, who has had some injuries, but he um, he's lost he's dropped some weight, changed his diet up a little bit. I was reading about him. Um, they ended up UDFA, two interesting guys. Demario Crockett from uh, Missouri, I believe. He left after his junior year, which is a little interesting because he didn't get drafted. But they also signed uh, Ron Higdon from Michigan, who had a nice career there. How do you feel about this group? It's just a it's kind of a little bit of a mess, just enough of a mess to where. You know, Lamar Miller, I feel like everybody, you know, who plays fantasy or everything knows about Lamar Miller now. And he's kind of just, you know, he's boring. You just take him when all of a sudden, you know, nobody's taking him and nobody's taking him. And he's kind of just there. Um, you just take him because he's the starting running back for the Texans. Um, you know, we're going to get into some of the depth and everything like that. But for the most part, he's going to handle these duties. Um, the fact that, like you said, yeah, they brought in two UDFAs. Um, they had the chance to make off-season decisions to go get a running back and obviously said, you know what, we're going to go one year Lamar Miller and, you know, hey, maybe Mix uh, Casario is going to take the next running back or whatever in whatever round he does. But um, next year it's Lamar Miller. The thing with Lamar Miller is that you kind of realize at this point is um, he's going to go as the offensive line goes. You know, he's he's basically a zero in war. You know, he's basically replacement level. Um he has that home run ability to where every once in a while, and he did have that 95 yard touchdown last season. He can break the big one and he can, you know, he does have the speed and everything, but those are situations where when the offense allows it and there's the seam there and there's a crease there, he can hit the seam in the crease and he can take it for 95 yards. So he's not somebody who I necessarily think is going to um, manufacture yards for himself. And that's when you look into the offensive line and you say, you know, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily looking for him in fantasy. Like I said, there obviously gets to a point where you have to take him, but um, it's, it's a lot lower than, you know, a lot of people. And you do start to, you know, you're looking to um, 
you know, secondary backs or, you know, pass catching backs, you know, he, in my opinion, he would be after, you know, guys like James White, Tarek Cohen, things like that, where you're getting into, you know, they're not going to lead their team in carries, but they're still going to have enough of that boom to where, like I said, they're creating, whereas Miller necessarily is not. That's the fantasy. But nonetheless, he's going to get carries. Um, You do look at Deontay Foreman. He's obviously the most interesting one. He's the one that, you know, people are going to look for and they're going to say, you know, like I just said with Miller, they didn't draft a running back. Um, and they're kind of, they're hoping that it's because Foreman could take a step forward. Um, I did like Foreman coming out of college. I just hate the idea that he tore his Achilles. Um, and it's you know it's one of the more devastating injuries to come back from. And there's not many signs of success. The best thing for him is he um, he's so young into his career and he missed an entire season to where you know he didn't make it worse or anything like that. And he's kind of coming back in his second NFL season fresh. What I would just think is that the if if it in like a best case scenario, it would be by about mid season of this year where he would be able to um even start to take the reins, you know, getting back into football shape. Also, you know, the speed of the NFL, he has to take that leap after for the most part, you know, he he walked through and everything like that, slowly made his way back, but it's gonna be tough for him. Um, he's more of a player that you're looking at. Lamar Miller's a free agent in 2020. You would hope maybe, you know, Foreman and um, a late round draft pick or something like that would be um, what Foreman's hoping for. But this season, you're not necessarily um, looking for him quite yet. Um, Taiwan Jones and Josh Ferguson are change of pace backs, so they're not necessarily going to be in there. And um, where I would talk about those two is, you know, Deshaun Watson is not a check down player. That also does hurt Lamar Miller in terms of his receptions to where um, he's going to scramble and throw down the football field when the play breaks down. He's not going to check down to a guy like Miller or to any of these pass catching backs to where, um, yeah, like you said, Crockett and Higdon, are at least going to be interesting, especially in dynasty leagues. Um, I think Higdon is nice because he's reliable and he's going to get you four when you need four. It's just um, he's up, he's limited physically and he's up uh, limited athletically. And then Crockett has a lot more athleticism, but is not nearly as refined. So that's where you do look at all these players and you say um, it's tough to see anybody unseating Lamar Miller. Nonetheless, I'm not dying to pick up Lamar Miller in fantasy or anything. So um, that is where they stand. Parks moving on to Deshaun Watson's pass catchers here. DeAndre Hopkins still making that big boy money. Well deserved for him. Will Fuller Parks. Um, he's been super productive when he is on the field. He has 11 touchdowns and 11 games played with Deshaun Watson, which is pretty nuts, but he's been limited to just 17 games over the last two seasons Parks, So if he could stay healthy, that would be really nice for them in terms of a deep threat, uh, Kiki Kuti, who we saw last year, Parks, really explosive as well. They ended up uh, exercising the fifth-year option on Will Fuller. I meant to meant to mention that. Uh, Vincent Smith and DeAndre Carter are also some guys that you could look into, Parks. Um, I had a question for you, Parks. How does Will Fuller be in there full-time? Does it affect Kiki Kuti's fantasy value, or are they still going to try and get him the ball in space? Uh, they're still going to try and get him the football. Um, Fuller obviously makes everything better. But um, yeah, I think Cutie is going to be a guy that you could go to. Um, and you know whether Fuller's going to be healthy or not, you do have to start by looking at Fuller. Um, and you know, first off, when he's in the game, things just absolutely change. Um, he's a player. You know, he's he can't be to the Deshaun Jackson level because what makes Deshaun Jackson so underrated and such a just an insane player is that he's been able to do 
um, just be the fastest player in the NFL for like what, 10 years without getting hurt. You know, Will Fuller can't, you know, run 10 of these go routes at that, at that speed against NFL cornerbacks without hurting his, uh, his hamstrings or anything like that. You know, that's, that is like the physical stress that it takes on your body. Um, you know, yeah, it is the go route, but when you're running, you know, as fast as some of these guys are, um, that's where Deshaun or Deshaun Jackson, like I said, it is just insane. But when Fuller is on the field, um, it is up there with Deshaun Jackson in terms of just how valuable he is to stretch in the football field. Um, their explosive pass rate doubles when he's on the field. And uh, last year he had 11 touchdowns in 11 games. You know, that's he's a huge playmaker, big-time playmaker. The good news is um, because he's coming off of, I believe it's ACL injury. And like I said, he's had hammies um, for a while now. Um, so he, he could potentially be injured. It's going to take him some time um, to get into the fold, just like it did last season. But obviously, he you know took no uh, he didn't take time getting acclimated, despite missing you know early into the season and everything like that. Um, he, it's going to happen again. But like you said, Cutie in the short term is going to step into that Will Fuller role, and what that is is um, Watson's going to be dropping bombs on him, and maybe he's not necessarily as dynamic as Will Fuller, but he's still extremely dynamic in his own regard. And I definitely think that he can create deep separation. So early into the season, you're getting a number two receiver who has explosive pass upside. Um, if Fuller does come back and it all works, his ability to um, be installed in this offense and move laterally, I think it's going to really be valuable for this team. Um, and when you start to look into the schematics of everything, you know, with Hopkins is obviously going to demand coverage, you know, we're going to obviously get into Hopkins, but um, then you have Fuller being able to, consistently demand respect on the other side because like I said he's beating quarterbacks one-on-one -on -one. you can't just let that happen um so when that's stressing you on the outsides Kiki QT is going to be left to right catching drags jet sweeps everything like that slants and what he's going to have is space and that's what he did at Texas Tech is just got the football in space and was just like you know just you know shifty moving all over the place setting up blockers creating in the open field to where that's where, like I said, whether it's Fuller or not, I do think he's a fantasy football value. Um, I think it's like the eighth or ninth round is when he typically goes. And yeah, I absolutely don't mind that whatsoever. Um, DeAndre Hopkins, I go back and forth with him. Sometimes I, I think he's probably the you know number one wide receiver in fantasy football. Um, I really, you know, he's right there as the number one wide receiver in the NFL. Um, and just one of the rare players that he just, he doesn't need separation and he never gets like, he, he does get separation. It's just split second, last second separation. Um, it's insane how nuanced and crafty he is as a wide receiver. And so many people think it's pass interference, but it's not. Um, I would say the argument between him and Devonte Adams, I think for the number one receiver is, um, Devonte Adams is in an offense where he's kind of clearly the like he doesn't have guys like Fuller and QT. I think QT is huge because, like I said, if you can get Fuller going deep and you can get him side to side, he freezes pass rushers on the edge. If you, especially with that jet sweep stuff, um, and then you look into the offensive line with Deshaun Watson and everything like that. Um, for him to freeze those players, um, to get a player into that role would be absolutely huge. So, um, but that is like they're going to manufacture touches for QT out of that. Whereas um, it may just be peppering um, Devontae Adams with more targets. I obviously think Hopkins is a better receiver. And that's where I think in fantasy, um, especially where, like I said, if if um, Deshaun Watson's losing and he goes into full-time gamer mode, he's just going to just go insane at DeAndre Hopkins. Um, their stats when they're losing um, Watson to Hopkins, it's just um, it's some of the best stuff that you could ever see. 
So, um, yeah, like I said, Watts or Hopkins is like one of the top two receivers um, in the NFL and in fantasy. Um, it really blends there. They signed Johnny Dawkins or Johnny Dixon from Ohio State because they want he's short and deep deep speed that's you know how refined is he can he get on an nfl field we're going to see about things like that jester wea um is an interesting one from Pitt because he could take the top off too so um just that, catch. <laughs> well <laughs> yeah you got that he does that um and that's where you know i think he was like a udfa who um like you said i mean they're looking at a guy like johnny dixon potentially that's going to be a camp battle nonetheless but what that shows you is that they would like somebody on the outside to stretch the field to get QT like I said, in his role. So he has a role no matter what. If Fuller's out, he's even better than his draft stock. If Fuller's in, he's about as good as his draft stock. Um, like I said, Hopkins is great. I mean, even Fuller, you don't, you know, you obviously have to factor in for the injuries. And like I said, I mean, when you look at his style of play and you look at the injuries associated with him, it's hard to say that, you know, he's going to continue to push, stress his hamstrings and it's going to continue to, you know, be this way. So, I mean, you, you just have to get the most out of him when he's on the field. And if they can get that, then they're looking pretty good. Parks, looking at this tight end group here, um, pretty interesting. They brought in Darren Fells on a one-year deal from Cleveland. They drafted Kahali Waring from was San, was San Diego or San Diego State um, at 86 overall. Um, he's going to be a little bit of a project for him. Um, Terrell Adams and Jordan Thomas are also in this group, Parks. Um, how do you feel about this tight end group? Right. They brought in Darren Fells specifically to be um, a blocker. He's 33 years old. Um, I think just because they don't have the you know the real depth here that they might keep him as a depth player. But um, as far as they're looking at Jordan Thomas and Jordan Atkins Ake, uh, as more of their uh, – Kind of their futures are last year they drafted both of them and um, Aikens turned out to be the better run blocker. Um, Thomas was more of the uh, pass catcher of the bunch and you could potentially moving into camp have uh, Fells as the blocker, Thomas as the pass catcher and that would be kind of where like I said um, with Will Fuller on the outside and Hopkins on the other side stressing the middle of the field um, all of a sudden Jordan Thomas is in a nice spot for fantasy especially because he's... Um, He's not a good blocker, and he's not going to be asked to block. But you also have to look into, like you said, Kahali Waring. Um, he has the upside to be the best tight end in this room, and it's really not even close, honestly, um, especially in terms of compared to Thomas as a blocker, he could be so much better than Thomas as a blocker. Compared to Akins as a pass catcher, could be so much better than Akins as a pass catcher. And then, like you said, you know, Fells has no upside whatsoever. So you look at Waring and you say, the upside is all here. Except, you know, really, like you said, he's pretty raw. He's a project at this point. Um, it's going to take him some time. Could you potentially line him up in the slot every once in a while to stress safeties deep over the middle of the field? Almost as like a chess match where, like I said, that maybe opens up for uh, Kiki QT. Potentially, um, is he a player that next year I'm going to be drafting every single right here, uh, in fantasy football? Yeah, that's probably how it's going to work. It's going to take him a year to get on the field. And um, yeah, like really late next year uh, is where you're going to hear me just remembering uh, his name. So if it, if it does, if light bulbs start to, you know, flash in training camp and everything, you'll start to listen. I don't really have, I, I don't look into any of these guys. I'm waiting patiently for Warring to put it together um, of, of these guys. That's what I would do of all these guys. Parks, I'm sure during the uh, weekly previews, you'll let us know if Crawley Warring is worth picking up. Yep. So we can move on to the offensive line here, Parks. Kendall Lamb out 
Matt Khalil in. Um, the Panthers are eating $15.7 million in dead money to move on from him, so he's going to get a one-year you know, prove-it flyer from the Texans here. Um, offensive line was an absolute disaster last year. Um, they also drafted Titus Howard at 23 overall. Central Henderson gets a one-year Four and a half million dollar year. He he missed nearly all of last season with a broken ankle. He suffered against the Patriots in Week One. Max Sharping at fifty five overall parks, um, and then a whole bunch of guys here. But what do you make of this? It's going to be fascinating. Yeah, it really is going to be fascinating to see um, just how they work out their offensive line. Um, and it starts where you know, like I was telling you before the show, um, it seems like a lot of people. Um, Especially, you know, you look at it, it was a little bit of a reach. Um, and you look into the Eagles, you know, traded up over the Texans, took Andre Dillard. Um, really, I think I had him as like a top 10 player in the NFL draft, you know, potentially um, just a really strong pass protecting offensive lineman. You look at the Texans and you say they had their sights set on Dillard. Um, him falling to the Texans would have just been, you know, a gift. And um, I think that they thought it was going to happen. I think it was John Green and the Raiders maybe were traded down, but nonetheless, they thought he was going to fall to them. They absolutely panicked when he didn't, and they just took the next best tackle instead of taking the next best player. And we're going to see how that works out. Um, the reason you have to bring that up is because, you know, um, first off, he, he's a he's a real raw project tackle that, you know, um, some people were saying, you know, has the upside to be a pretty good swing tackle in the NFL. Um, everything like that, you know, some people, you know, third round pick, everything like that. Um, it's going to be fascinating. He has the upside in terms of his physical attributes and everything, but in terms of, um, getting it together on the NFL football field, um, you wonder about that taking him 23rd overall. Um, and especially with the pieces around him, it's going to be fascinating because what I was reading out of camp was, um, potentially they're looking into Julian Davenport playing left tackle next season. Um, moving, you know, may, I, I would assume maybe because, you know, Titus Howard isn't necessarily ready for it, but then they're talking about Titus Howard playing guard next to Davenport. And, um, you know, Davenport is a fourth round rookie, um, I think from Bucknell or something like that. So, I mean, another just small school, uh, fourth round rookie. He, he was okay last season, better than, I mean, tough to say. I mean, he, he had his ups and downs. Um, and like I said, you could say it's tough to, um, block for Deshaun Watson as it is, let alone for a rookie who, you know, wasn't necessarily ready for it. But I mean, so, you know, what are, what are you saying about Titus Howard? If you're saying that the fourth round rookie who really struggled is, you know, the future left tackle over your first round pick. <laughs> that's, where, it's just, like, that's where it gets confusing to me. And I just like, I can't understand what they're necessarily like. They, I, it's just such a panic move that they took Howard and you would assume that he's going to step into left tackle and maybe, Davenport moves into guard, but nonetheless, you know, then you want, you know, it's, it's a miscast no matter what at guard. And then you don't know what you have at all at tackle. So they're going to compete for tackle and guard. Um, Kelamete and F Fulton are their other guards. Um, they kind of just brought them back. Um, didn't bring, you know, too, too much competition. Um, Sharping's another interesting one because I think he could play some, uh, some right tackle for them. Um, he, his best performance was against Brian Burns from Florida State, but he also struggled um, against some MAC players. So um, he could potentially slot into right tackle. Um, I thought he was more refined than Titus Howard. So, you know, that's where he keep going back to, you know, how does Titus Howard fit in? Um, where does he fit in even in the long-term plans? You know, did you draft a left guard, you know, 
23rd, a project left guard, 23rd overall, um, you know, who can't start over Julian Davenport at left tackle. You have to start to, you know, look into some of these things. Um, Nick Martin, don't mind him at center. Um, definitely, um, especially when you look at Mance behind him, you say, well, at least they do really have their center position locked down. And um, Rankin from Mississippi State is kind of like a swing player who can really play all of these spots. But I mean, they're heading into camp and they, I mean, I don't know who their right tackle, their left tackle or any other guards. Um, it's all up for competition. And, you know, like I'm saying, I think a lot of their guards are going to compete for tackle spots and their tackles are going to compete for guard spots. And this is where it goes back to um, a GM getting fired and uh, not understanding, you know, um, I think it's tough to build an offensive line around Deshaun Watson. Um, I also don't think they've put in nearly enough resources. Um, and that's where, the, you know, it's it's going to be fascinating. And, you know, Watson is going to consistently, um, like I keep saying, he's going to throw. Oh, I, we didn't even bring up Matt Khalil. I can't believe they paid him that much money, too. Um, I mean, <laughs> he's, 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 his brother is so good that his brother got him, like, so much money. It's insane. So um, that's all you got to say about him. All right, we can move on to the defensive line here, Parks. Um, yeah, J.J. Watt, we don't really need to talk about him, but looking at some of the other guys that they brought in, Charles Amenahue from Texas at 161. Drew Lewis was a UDFA. Joel Heath gets extended. Angelo Blackson gets a three-year, $12 million deal, Parks. Um, do you want to start with the defensive line here, then we can look at some edge guys? Yeah, it should be a pretty good group overall. Um, like you said, J.J. Watt um, – Maybe isn't, you know, best player in the NFL or anything, um, you know, had his back issues and everything like that, potentially as he heads towards the back end of his career. Nonetheless, um, what's so great about J.J. Watt is he can go up and down the, you know, he can stand over the center, he can stand over the tackle, and, you know, he can put his hand up, hand down, everything like that. Um, and it creates flexibility for the rest of the players on the defensive line. And that makes things a lot easier for really everybody. So um, you add in his ability to pass rush with uh, DJ Reader, just um, a pure just nose tackle plugger from uh, from Clemson. Just, you know, um, they seem to like breed these guys. You know, Grady Jarrett just signed a big contract from Clemson. Um, and then Carlos Watkins, another guy from Clemson, they're really hoping that, you know, in their three, four fronts, they could have Reader as the nose. And like I said, Watson's versus or JJ Watts versatility with Carlos Watkins potentially um, stepping up into that role. They could have three or you know, two young Clemson athletes next to a guy like JJ Watt who can move around and do all that stuff. So on paper, that would be great. Um, like I said, I think Reader has um stepped into his role as a nose tackle. Um, they're waiting for a step forward from Watkins, but they uh, signed Angelo Blackson as some depth. They got Joel Heath as some depth. Um, Brandon Dunn as some depth. They also brought in Charles Amenahue, who I think is interesting because um, it also <laughs> um, Albert Huggins went to Clemson too. He's a nose tackle. Um, he'll probably spend a year on the practice squad and then join his Clemson brothers. But um, Charles Amenahue is um, he's the most interesting because he could play similarly to what up and down the defensive line. And um, as we start to get into um, guys like Clowney in the back end or everything like that, um, that's where they can start to shake things up is um, guys like Watt, guys like a Menahue, even a guy like potentially Watkins, you know, from the nose to the, um, to the uh, one and three and everything like that. So he can move around um, a many who potentially could even get some edge snaps if they need. So, so they could really have that, um, that versatility going in their front four. Um, and, um, he, he's obviously going to take some time, but, um, his inside outside, uh, versatility 
does it, it helps, especially with a guy like J.J. Watt, obviously. Yeah, Parkson, moving on to the linebackers now, at least some of the guys on the edge. Um, Jadavian Clowney ended up getting tagged. He'll make just under $16 million this year. They did not reach a long-term deal with him, so I imagine he'll sit out training camp, but he should so- show up for the regular season. Bernard McKinney, Whitney Merciless, Zach Cunningham, Jamal Davis, his former pick guy ended up going. He transferred somewhere. I forget where, but he's also – form- Yeah, that was it. Um, and Parks, how do you feel about this group? Yeah, like I said, um, a lot of it starts with that versatility of J.J. Watt, potentially the versatility of a Menihue, um, and then that brings in the versatility of Jadavian Clowney. Clowney's going to be interesting because um, he's going to be a free agent. You know, he's going to head into free agency. And like I said, the Texans scrambling for a GM. Um, there's serious money on the line for Jadavian Clowney this year. Um, you know, whether he shows up for camp, anything like that, I think he's going to play um, probably a, probably a pretty good season. You know, you look into his NFL career as the first overall pick, gets hurt and missed his first season for the most part. Um Comes back from, you know, season-ending surgery, puts up four and a half sacks in, you know, technically what you I would kind of call his rookie season. Um, six sacks the next season, but um, he had like an uh, in, insane number, uh, 16 tackles for loss, a really impressive number of tackles for loss. And then um, the next two seasons, he has um, nine and a half sacks and 21 tackles for loss, and then nine sacks and 16 tackles for loss. So you can really tell the last two seasons – um, he's starting to hit his stride and he's starting, you know, he's 26 years old right now. Um, these next three or four years are what you drafted somebody number one overall for. And that's where I keep going back to that GM saying, you know, it would be devastating in my opinion for them to let Clowney walk in the fact that they couldn't, you know, get a, a deal done. It would be interesting because, um, you know, it feels like they were there for the, you know, the bad of Clowney You'd hope to be there for when it, I mean, it paid off. I think the last two seasons um, really started to pay off, but um, another dispute was about Clowney because of his position um, in terms of the, uh, the uh, franchise tag, because um, like I said, in terms of the versatility where he's starting to make a lot of his, Hey, um, Romeo Cronell has started to um, put him more like over the, um, like over the nose tackle, um, or like over the middle linebacker. And I would say about 50% of his, you know, those 18 and a half sacks of the past two years, I'd say about 50% of those are on either him attacking straight up the gut or him twisting on stunts. So um, his ability to use his athleticism um, to, to, to his advantage really, and to move up and down the line where that's where I'm talking about with JJ Watt, that's where it starts to um, starts to get a, a lot more impressive with what they're able to do because they can move Watt up and down the line and they can move Clowney up and down the line and they can um, move them, you know, they could be on the same side in attack. They could be on different sides in attack. Um, one could be on the inside. One could be on the outside. Um, really, yeah, Clowney can rush from the inside. Watt can, you know, rush from the outside, everything like that. Um, that's where Clowney makes a lot of this tick. Um, Merciless on the other side is another solid pass rusher. He's more of a, um, you know, just kind of a speed, just, you know, go out and get it. Um, you know, bend the edge, everything like that. Um, it's a good fit in terms of, um, you know, his speed off of the edge can contrast with Watt on the other side. It can contrast with the nose tackle, and then it can contrast with Clowney and his blitzing ability. So the versatility with what they're able to do with Clowney, Watt, and Merciless is what makes their entire defense um, – Really, it makes their entire defense. It, that's what their entire defense is all about, and that's why Amenhu is um, 
is valuable because if he can move inside a little bit and he can, you know, fight with NFL guards on the inside, um, they can really start to switch things up with a Menahue, Watt, Clowney, and Merciless. And that's where I keep saying it would be nice to see Clowney stick around for the long term with this group. Um, hopefully they can get that done. Then you, um, Duke Ejiofor is another interesting player. Um, he's pretty refined and he can set the edge, whereas you know he can set the edge and what's his name, Merciless can pin his ears back. And you can also get him on the field with Merciless and Clowney because of Clowney's potential off of the football abilities. But um, for the most part, you're going to have you know just two of them, obviously, and then some rotation. Um, moving to the inside, you got McKinney. McKinney is a guy that you know he's just a workhorse. Um, I think he definitely deserved his deal. Um, just a downhill player um, can really it's it's good for him because he when Clowney can rush over the center, he can move to the outside if he needs to. And also Zach Cunningham can move to the outside um, if he needs to as well. Zach Cunningham is really just like a high end athlete at this point. Um, still, he's getting better every year because he's so big and long and fast that um, every once in a while you just see flashes from him that are just big time, but every once in a while you see him just getting torched in coverage. So you have to, you know, take some of the good with some of the bad. He's going to be that um, space player because McKinney is that downhill rock in terms of the run stuffing. But um, like I said, the athleticism of Cunningham and that tenacious ability of McKinney really can um, give them some pass rush help and McKinney's ability to be comfortable in all the players moving around him while also keeping players kind of set. Um, that's what makes McKinney more valuable than some people would give him credit for. Um, Scarlett will make it because of uh, special teams. And yeah, Jamal Davis um, was a player that I looked into a little bit because he's kind of a good player for the modern NFL where he can blitz off of the edge and he can um, he's athletic enough to defend tight ends. So he's an interesting enough player that um, maybe makes the practice squad, maybe makes the back end due to his special teams ability. And then hopefully moving forward because, you know, that versatility of Clowney would be, you know, just such a uh, tough loss. So, um, but that's where they are. And it's definitely their front in the versatility in their front is um, more valued than the back end at this point. Parks and to wrap up the Texans, we'll move on to the secondary here where they had a lot of turnover. Um, Kevin Johnson was released. Tyron Matthew ends up going to the Chiefs. Kareem Jackson is out. Andre Hall had to announce his retirement. He's only 27. I know he uh, diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. But he said that his cancer is not why he's stepping away from the field, but he picked off 12 passes in 55 games over the past four seasons. So he may be able to make a comeback at some point. Um, but we're going to look at Bradley Roby, one-year deal, $10 million from Denver. I know he hasn't done – a lot because of a soft, soft tissue injury. Um, Lonnie Johnson drafted 54th overall. He's really raw from Kentucky. Xavier Crawford, I believe, is one of the Central Michigan guys with uh, Bunting being the other guy there. He was 195th overall. Parks, um, looking at this cornerback group to start, Jonathan Joseph, looking like he's going to be CB1, but he's getting up there in age. How do you feel about this group? Yeah, this is where it's going to be interesting, and this is one of their biggest issues from last season was um, they were able to, you know, get a decent pass rush. They were able to defend the run enough, but their secondary, um, there was too much shuffling. You know, there wasn't enough, you know, of anything. Like you said, they did a lot of turnover. They're hoping to turn it around, but it's still a questionable group. Um, Roby's first couple years um, were better than his last year, and I think you look into that and you say, well, when you're playing with Talib and Chris Harris, you know, and Talib steps away, and you have to start playing better, you know, receivers because of that. Um, that's where I just feel like it's, you know, you started to see um, he moved out of the slot to the outside, and we're gonna see, you know, he signed a one-year deal because 
um, I think he, you know, he has to prove it, in, you know, this season that um, he deserves a, a, you know, a longer contract. So um, we're definitely going to see about that. And then, like you uh, said, on the other side, you do have Joseph, who's a solid cornerback, but, you know, he's 35 and he's pretty much capped athletically um, and in terms of speed at this point. And one of their biggest issues was explosive plays down the football field last season. And you do look at Joseph and you do look at Roby and, you know, yeah, they're penciled in as starters, but, you know, which one can we really trust, you know, for the long term moving forward? And that's where they do start to make some of these moves. Um, Lonnie Johnson, the first one, obviously they would, you know, their trajectory would be that when Joseph gets unseated, it would be, you know, for Lonnie Johnson, if you go back and listen to our podcast, um, I think he's completely developmental and he's not going to bring anything as a rookie. So we're going to see, you know, we'll see about his upside, but that's where the shuffling and the depth. And like you said, Roby's already dealing with something. Um, then you move into the slot Colvin. Um, he was a guy that, you know, when, when they signed him to the contract, he kind of said, um, you know, with Boye and Ramsey on the Jags and he was in the slot, it just seemed like he was benefiting from, and it was, you know, the Saxonville and everything like that. He was kind of just the guy that was benefiting a little bit. Um, you know, it's like, uh, in Seattle in the Legion of Boom and, uh, you know, every year Brandon Browner gets paid and then Theral Simon gets paid. And then, um, you know, all the Walter Thurman gets paid. And it's like, all these guys are getting paid and they're all, you know, somewhat products of the system a little bit. Whereas, you know, I think Coleman, Colvin, a little bit like that with the Jags, um, you could say he was playing out of position, um, for most of last season because they were shuffling around in the slot and he was pretty much a pure slot player. Um, and now you look into who's in the slot there's really, I mean, um, body Calhoun can play in the slot and also, um, like you said, Crawford from uh, Central Michigan could potentially play in the slot, but you'd assume it's going to be Colvin in the slot. You know, on paper you got Joseph, Roby, and Colvin. Um, it's just I don't. It's not my favorite, you know, group. And and like I said, I don't love their depth, um, especially in terms of some of the players that they're betting on. So um, I, th- I think that if there's a potential downfall, it's going to be the fact that you know. Like I said, Roby entering that fifth year, um, you know, doesn't live up to it. Jo- Jonathan Joseph age finally hits him in Colvin. You know, we realize that, you know, whether he's healthy or not, he needs a pass rush to be a really effective cornerback. So we'll see. Yeah, Parks, and looking at the back end here, like I mentioned, uh, Tyron Matthew is out. Um, but they ended up signing Sean Gibson from Jacksonville, three years, $22 million. Like you said, with uh, Body Calhoun, one-year deal from Cleveland. And Jaleel Odai gets a one-year, $1.1 million deal. Um, and they still have Justin Reed back there. Parks, how do you feel about this group? Yeah, I think they're going to miss Matthew and just, you know, his understanding and freelancing ability to go out and make plays and everything like that. So, um, you know, Deshaun Gibson was okay in Jacksonville last season, but, you know, kind of almost similarly to what I was saying with Colvin was, you know, maybe some of the other pieces around there were helping him. And also, you know, it, it kind of started to slow down for a guy like him in Jacksonville. And that is why they started to move on from him. But um, he's going to, you know, what's nice about him is he could be a combination safety and play with Justin Reed, who I think was a third round pick last season, got on the field a little bit as a rookie um, can be a combination. Safety is pretty athletic. I think he had like three or four picks last season. So um, potentially he could be, you know, the future of the secondary it's just, yeah, I mean, a second-year player to Sean Gibson kind of on the tail end of his career. Jaleel Adai, um, a real box safety who had to play free safety last year because, you know, they drafted Derwin James, the Chargers did, and just, you know, kind of kicked him out to the curb. So, I mean, you look at, you know, 
there's not much upside in the secondary. Um, you could definitely say Bradley Roby has some upside. And um, like I said, I think Justin Reed has a chance to be a piece. But um, it's still, you know, they the secondary was their weakness. Then, you know, they lost Kareem Jackson. They lost Tyron Matthew. Um, and I don't necessarily love some of the players that they brought in for them. Um, that's where you're going back to, we need a big season from Clowney, um, and we need Watt, you know, and everything like that. And that's where you go back to um, potentially Watson in these shootouts back and forth, throwing bombs, everything like that. Um, a good fantasy bet would be Deshaun Watson. So um, that is kind of how it all wraps around. Yeah, Parkin, a nice little wrap-up from you there. We can look at the regular season win total. Um, bet Online has over 8.5 plus 110, under 8.5, minus 130. Bobata has the same thing, just minus 140, a little more juice towards the under. So how do you feel about that line there? This is one I would definitely probably be looking under before I'd be looking over. Um, I think, yeah, I have them sitting at 8-8. Eight and eight, So, I mean, it, it would be right on the under. And especially a team like the Texans is interesting to talk about their under because um, – and I always kind of say this, especially with um, futures and everything like that. By the end of this thing, I'll probably have bet like five team unders and like one team over. It's just the way that I kind of, <laughs> like, I swear I'm not a pessimist, but um, just like the way that you have to operate is that injuries are much more likely to happen than players exceeding your expectations. I guess it's kind of, uh, <laughs> like, like I said, I swear I'm not a pessimist, but um, you do. Like, that's just a real, like, in terms of depth, though. Yeah. Like, if they yeah. have an injury here, there's, they're screwed. Right. Whereas, you know, like betting on, like I said, betting on Matt Khalil to step up or betting on, um, you know, Central Henderson to come back from his injury, or, you know, betting on Will Fuller to play 16 games. Um, those aren't things that you, if you, if it all happened and it all clicked and everything like that, yeah, you could bet on that and it could work. But um, this is one of those, especially with the offensive line where if somebody did go down and, you know, this is already, you know, they're kind of just crinkling along and everything like that if they do get a kink in their armor um then you know it does start to fall apart where that's where i'm saying you know hey they could probably win i think they they would max out at 10 for sure um i could see them winning nine for sure but um that's where i start to think you know hey at eight and a half yes i could see them winning nine but the propensity for them to win seven eight um and potentially you know eight seven or potentially you know if it really did fall apart and um also you look at deshaun watson who like i said you know couldn't you know fly last season due to um you know how messed up his internal organs were um AJ McCarron and Joe Weber backups you know that's where I'm saying especially like the Texans more than anybody you have to say there's no way I'm betting the over it's just am I committed to fading Watson and you know fading Hopkins um and fading Watt and Clowney enough to take the under um it actually you know it's actually something that I'm gonna start to look into here yeah, Parks, and that does it for the Houston Texans. So, like we said, we've talked about the AFC East, AFC North. This begins the AFC South for us. We'll be moving on to the other three teams, the Titans, Colts, and Jags, and in some of the next episodes coming up. So be sure to check out those ones. Keep an eye out for those. We'll be releasing about probably one a day for the next, like, probably like six or seven weeks. So we'll have all 32 out there parks. Do you have anything else do you want to say in recap? Or are we ready to get out of here? Yeah, no, that's it. Just, uh, you know, the make or break of Will Fuller will be fascinating, but um, yeah, I love Watson in fantasy. Don't like Lamar Miller. That's about it for that. All right, guys, we'll catch you next time.